Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody, and Steve, where we will be discussing various political issues and current events through conservative and libertarian lenses. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast, which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. Good afternoon, Ed. Good afternoon, Jody. Good afternoon, Steve. Good afternoon, Jody. Everybody's in a nice smiley mood, which we can ruin with all the news that's going on, probably. Yeah. Um, first thing I was just going to mention was, because you know, Liberty Block's heart and soul is in New Hampshire, and the governor there, who used to be a pretty reliable libertarian slash conservative, has seemingly moved further and further towards the uh, more dictatorial side, and he put out an order I guess within the last couple of days, five days maybe, attaching the health laws with his emergency orders and saying because of that, police or health officials can now go onto private property without warrants to enforce these health regulations. Um, in honesty, there are some who have looked at it and said based on the way everything is worded, it includes private, private property but not residences. There are others arguing that it does not exclude residences. But in either case, it's pretty clear that he's saying government people can go onto private property, not a store, but into your home, and if they don't like the fact that you got too many people in your house without masks, they can fine you. And needless to say, in the what used to be live free or die state, not going over very well. And he has people a primary, choosing, people, sorry? People are choosing not to live free. People are definitely choosing not to live free. I'm not sure how many still believe live free or die. And obviously people chime in, you know, you try it, don't tread on me. Um, I forget always how to pronounce that phrase, which means take it from my dead cold hands. But I don't know how many people would ever really stand up to it. And he has, he has a primary in a few weeks, although it's probably not much of a prayer that the woman running against him will actually make any kind of dent. I wish she would because I think it's good to get a message from the right. Thoughts? You know, I, this is just another example. First of all, I have a question. Uh, is this constitutional? Is this kind of thing, can, 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 can this happen? Can this really stand if it were to be fought in a court of law? Number two. First of all, that was two questions, Jody. Oh, sorry. I believe that was two. Is it constitutional to me is not the same as would it stand up in a court of law. Now number three. Okay, all number right, three. yeah, I'll take those two questions. No, go for the third, it's three for a quarter. Well, the third one was just an observation of, this is an example of, you know, um, what is the saying, um, don't let a crisis go to waste. You know, this is such overreach at this point what we know about this virus, caution is imperative, but this is taking it to such an extreme. And this is why I get more and more against, you know, government intervention in, in, in these things because they get so extreme and carried away. It's not about caution. It's not about science. It's not about safety. It's clearly about control. So back to my questions about, um, you know, is this really, can they really do that? Okay, I'm going to defer to Ed since you took my libertarian stance. <laughs> well, you know, I'm old enough, I think we're all old enough to remember Sununu's father, who, uh, if the apple falls far, doesn't fall far from the tree, I'm not surprised that he's, he's left the libertarian uh, plant, uh, reservation. Uh, his father is responsible for assuring us that David Souter was going to be a stellar Supreme Court justice. His father was not a good advisor for George H.W. Bush Sr. Um, as far as whether this is constitutional, I mean, you have to remember, first of all, the Constitution as originally conceived leaves broad powers with the states. The framers believed that the states were going to be the ultimate repositories of defending liberty. Um, the 14th Amendment changed that somewhat by giving by giving Congress oversight over the states for when the states were violating rights. Um, my personal view is 
I think we're past the point where these, where the state's exercise of its general police powers is violating people's rights. I think that, uh, and I argued this on one of our previous episodes, that the, the, the American people have, 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 a, have privileges and immunities that are protected under the 14th Amendment. And the 14th Amendment was written for precisely what we're dealing with right now government officials at the state level acting under color of state law to violate their rights. And what are the rights that are being violated? The right to earn a living, the right to worship, the right to association, the right to peaceably assemble, as long as you disagree with the government. I mean, the, the BLM people and the people that support the Democrats agenda, they don't have any uh, restrictions on their ability to protest peaceful, peaceably or not peaceably. Um, but as I look at this situation, I want to know where in the world the Justice Department is. I want to know where Bill Barr is. Where is the Attorney General? Where is President Trump? This is what the 14th Amendment was designed to protect us against. We've got, we've got our own modern day Bull Connors that are standing in the way of American citizens exercising their God-given liberties to, to be free. To earn, like I said, you know, I gave you a list to earn a living, to worship, to pray, to to peaceably assemble and associate. And so, is it is it constitutional? I don't think so. Um, I, although I should I should amend that a little bit. I I think it's up to Congress to say it's not constitutional, and it's up to the Attorney General to find. Uh, authority within the civil rights laws that have been passed by Congress to say that these actions are not consistent with the 14th Amendment. I think that's the, the proper thing, way to look at it. The I only thing you may be skipping, because obviously I agree with everything you said, is I believe the state constitutions, if not all of them, protect all these same rights. So even if it weren't yeah. for 14th Amendments and incorporations and stuff, this is still violating a state constitution but there just doesn't seem anybody that has any standing who gets up and says, no, you can't do this unless a private citizen sues and it just goes through the courts and then they just reword the order. Well, I'm not, I'm not an expert on state constitutions. You're right that they, they, they're similar to the federal constitution, although most state constitutions are a little broader. Um, the reason that suits are generally not brought in the, under the state constitution alone is that the presidential value winds up being much more limited. Uh, the goal is always to find it under, find the, the liberty being protected under the federal constitution because that would have presidential effect. If you get a, if you get a ruling out of, you know, New Hampshire's in the first circuit, uh, I'm in New Jersey, which is the third circuit, Illinois, uh, where Jody is, that is the sixth circuit. You know, if you get a circuit court of appeals or, or a Supreme Court decision, obviously, it's going to have precedential value across the country. And, and the reality is even, even just at the district court level, we've got district court judges that have basically usurped power under the constitution to issue nationwide injunctions. And while I think that those nationwide injunctions are completely antithetical to the limited role of the judiciary and the limited role of the federal government generally, uh, the reality is that they exist today. And if you can find a, a friendly district court judge who agrees with you, you not only get to, to block these, these kinds of things in Illinois or New Jersey or New Hampshire, you get to block them all over the country. So that's why people tend to do it through the federal courts. Um, you know, if there's no authority in the civil rights statutes right now, President Trump should be talking about it. And he should be saying, we need to amend the civil rights laws and let the Democrats stand up just like they did under Jim Crow and say, no, we're against civil rights laws. And that's what, that's what should be happening. We should, the attorney general should be prosecuting these people. They should be, he should be perp walking them out the same way that Roger Stone got perp walked out. And he should embarrass these people because they are, they, their whole goal right now is to humiliate everybody on the other side into silence. And unfortunately it's, it's working. A lot of people are afraid to speak up, but, um, so but that's back my at, back at you. What do you think? Why do you think Barr's not doing anything? He talks a little bit on the shows. You know, it's hard to say. I mean, when I think, 
when I try and think of it in the best light, I think that they're trying to keep their powder dry and they don't want to do it. They don't want to move too soon. Um, but I feel like time is running out. I feel like, you know, we're coming up on the end of August and we've only got about 11 weeks until the election. We need to move. And I mean, if he's going to, if he's going to start making arrests, you know, we're not going to be able to move forward with prosecutions. I mean, other than maybe a plea entry in 11 weeks, you know, I don't know what he can do, um, but he should be doing something. I don't know why he's not moving faster. I really can't answer that. Now, along those lines is the other story I was going to mention, which in fairness, I believe they rescinded the proposal in Tennessee. So what's going on with the education system, which fascinates me, is one of the arguments that we have to get kids back physically into schools is otherwise they're going to be abused and neglected at home and there won't be anybody to report it which I'm not quite sure how the education system got into that full time, but that's for another day. So in Tennessee, they proposed, I believe, a bill to send, quote, well-being inspections to every child in the state. I don't know if any of you have ever had child services knock on your door. It's not a pleasant experience, and they take to themselves the right to look in your fridge, your closets, and anything else they want. And interestingly enough, in Tennessee, there was a backlash, and they pulled it which I would say, speaking of what we're speaking about, is wonderful. But that side of the, uh, of the battle, if you will, never gives up. So even if they'll lose this, this tiny one, they'll be back tomorrow with something else. Not only that, but I think it's noteworthy that that's happening in Tennessee, not in Illinois, not in New York or Massachusetts or New Jersey or California, Tennessee is a relatively conservative state. And you're Which saying- Which is why it was be back. Backlash. But there's always going to be enough liberals. First of all, I don't know if there's any state that doesn't have a liberal city in it. No, I think you're right. So there's always gonna be somebody at a state level who's gonna push these things. And unlike a Republican who may be reticent about pushing something with two backers, they will always try and then they keep moving to Overton window, so. You know, yeah. so this, this is one of those subjects, um, this could be used as just another example of why I, I was a liberal when I was a liberal. It sounds really good, doesn't it? Who doesn't want well-being checks for every one of our children in this nation? And if you don't look or think beyond that, how could you possibly be a moral human being and disagree with that. Okay, can I, I answer you for a minute, Jody? You can, I'm not, <laughs> I'm I'm answer you. I'm rhetorical. The same, people, the same people who want to starve their grandparents to death and throw them off a cliff and, abort and kill their children with dirty air and dirty water. Those are the people. No. So, so here's, here's, here's the bigger thing for me. So this is, what, this is what generally tends to happen. People grab onto that little piece of, of course we all want well-being checks for all of our children. It's that heart gushing thing. I get it. I agree. I want wellness for all of our children. But the problem is, it's never what they say. It never solves the problem. And if you actually start to say, okay, what exactly is the problem? Why is it that children are unsafe in their home? And you start to unravel those things you start to get attacked because now if you don't want well-being checks because you're thinking, oh wait, that, okay, I, I, I get the problem. I don't think that's the solution for multiple, multiple reasons. You get attacked then for not wanting well-being of children. And that's the problem with these um, really uh, um, heart-tugging sound bites that I have. And this is a really good example of that. Of course we all want the well-being of our children. I live in Illinois. It's it's such a political um, uh, weapon that the left uses because our teachers unions, for example, constantly say it's for the children. Everything they want is for the children. If you disagree with what you want, they're putting you in this space of you're so immoral. You don't want what's best for the children. Well, let me just tell you, meanwhile, it's not for our children. Our children, especially in Chicago, are suffering greatly while the teachers and they get you know paid greatly and retire early and it's not for the children. And so I would even wager this whole well-being check, ultimately it doesn't end up being for the children. 
right? Which kind of segues, which we weren't really going to talk about to that ad about that black woman who's running for Congress in Baltimore and saying, if you really care about black lives, let me show you black lives. Oh, did you so, watch, did you watch that fantastic. ad? And she it can was get amazing. Yep. So it's the same thing. If you really cared about the children, yes. there's a whole bunch of things you really could do. If you really cared about black people, if you really cared about the poor, if you really cared about gay rights, if you really cared about solving the problems of violence in this country, you would stop voting for the people who are ex exploiting those problems for their own political and financial gain. How this goes to how do you not wake up to that at this point? This is something I can't understand. Well, I'm going to answer that with Ten one years word. Ago, I get it, but it is so blatant now that de Democrat policies are such a monumental failure. They don't just fail to solve the problems they promised to solve. They put the problems on steroids, and then they continue to promise you, just give us more money, just give us more power and we'll fix it. And how can people not wake up to that? The Democrats want to make the entire United States look like Baltimore. That's, that's one, I'm going to give you a one word answer, Jody. Media. Well, and education. I mean, look at, look at, look at where the power is. It's shift. Those people get power through this disgusting, corrupt system. Crony capitalism, really. I mean, cause it's, it's invaded our healthcare system. It's, the powerful elites uh, manipulating the masses into giving them more money and more power and people just vote for it. I, it's tragic, it's killing me. I got three kids. Ed, can you top that? Well, I got a couple of things I wanna say. First of all, you guys mentioned the, the ad of that Republican black woman running in Baltimore, but I don't think we mentioned her name. I don't know that the listeners know what, what you're talking about. So Point. you wanna mention the name? Uh, I'm going to look it up. Kim Kiss. Klasik or something. K-L-A-C-I-K, I believe. Right. Her Kim. name is Kim Klasik. K-L-A-S-I-K. S-I-K, okay. I'm going to donate her campaign. S-I-K, not a C-I-K? S-I-K. Oh, okay. Um, so anyone listening, that's, you know, you can look her up. Uh, it's about a three-minute long ad. Um, I posted it on my Facebook page if you wanted to see it. So did I. Um, but... Um, I got to disagree with something you said, Jody. I, sure. I don't. I think. I don't think this is well intended. I don't think it, it. When you say, you know, who could be against helping the children, the very people that are pushing this, are the same people that say we got to keep the government out of our bedrooms. And I agree with them. They got to keep the government. We got to keep the government out of our bedrooms. Well, we got to keep the government out of our our homes. You know, to look to peep in on the way we're raising our children. Our children are not the government's children. They are our children. And unless there's some I'm not saying that there's no role for, for child protective services to be overseeing actual evidence of abuse, but that's the key. There needs to be some evidence of abuse. There needs to be a child that's in school that, that either has a bruise or, or says something. Uh, just for random checks to come to your house and see if you're raising your child properly, no. I mean, that's, I mean, that's akin to having you know, government cameras in the bedroom looking in when you're having sex. And I don't care what their rationalization is. I don't care what the excuse they give is. Um, they know better. And the fact that they, that, they make, that they press it shows both that they're not serious about abortion rights. Uh, they're not serious about protecting the, the integrity and the sanctity of the bedroom. And I don't think they're, they're serious about protecting any rights. I think that every right is on the table for them. And it's just a question of when they surrender it and when they take it away or when they take it away from you. So, so actually, I mean, Ed, we, I completely agree with everything you just said. My point really is now if we're, if, 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 if it's really true that our children in our nation um, having to have school online at home leads to a lot of kids having all sorts of problems because they have abusive parents or all of these things, I I do want that problem solved. I just don't, I'm not saying I want it solved through the government, but yes. And I'm not saying we should be going, at, what is the cause is, of child abuse? Solve it. I mean, it's not enough. That, solve, solve poverty, uh, get, get these parents to where they have hope and jobs. Uh, the government has destroyed the economic ladder. They've destroyed our healthcare system. They've destroyed, our education system, 
so the very avenues for these parents to move upward, look, violence is, is something that is, is, a, is a, um, a response to lack of hope. And it's, it's, it's a, it comes hand, hand in hand with poverty often. So look, we can't solve that tomorrow, but this, this constant, constant decades old, the government intervenes to solve this problem at what point and always, yes, I want to solve the problem. I don't want little kids being at home and being abused. I, I don't want those problems. But clearly, clearly we should all know by now, just look at our inner cities, we should all know by now, the government's not the solution. That's, all, that's what I was trying to say, but they use the heartstring talking points to get people to do something without thinking, really, well, frankly, without let thinking. Say, let me say this. I, I think that the problem that you're identifying is not nearly the problem that you're suggesting it is, um, but insofar as it is a big problem, you're sort of setting our side up to lose when you say, here we've got this big problem, government can't solve it, I don't have a solution. Yes, I do. You, you basically, well, what's the solution? Well, I'm saying it's, it's a building blocks, but, but we, we already, we have it in our, in our society right now where we, we are the most charitable nation in the entire world. But charity is not going to end child abuse. No, no. Anti-poverty programs are going to end child abuse. Getting people in positions with, go back, what, to before uh, the 60s, even. Just take the black community before the 60s, when they were actually moving upward, when they had intact homes. I, Look, when you obliterate I, people's ability to make a living, when you obliterate the family units, it destroys the inner part of a human. You know, uh, there's there's a there's an organization in Joplin, Missouri, uh, that I interviewed before, uh, the True Charity Initiative. And I want to take my kids there uh, in the spring because they're having a conference. I donate to their mission. This is a gentleman who left his job as a um, I forget what he was, uh, something in healthcare. And he decided he is going to try and get people out of dependence, out of the dependence of government and get them into living independently out of poverty. So he was in his mission, he has seen and shown how, you know, people living in these environments of lack of hope because of poverty, that the, they don't even know how to sweep a room or turn on an alarm clock. They've okay. not been taught basics that can help them get out of poverty. And what happens when you, you get angry? You get angry, you feel stifled. And what happens when you get angry and you feel stifled? You act violently. I, I'm I, just saying. I, I, I just have to strongly disagree that child abuse is at all uh, the result or caused by poverty. Uh, I think child abuse happens in wealthy homes. It happens in poor homes. I think that good family relations. I'm not it doesn't. I'm just saying that's where you're going to see it the most. I, I just, I, I disagree. I mean, I, you know, I, I've seen abuse uh, in wealthier homes. Um, I've seen happy families that were poor. Um, I think it's much more of a moral question. I think it's a question of personal values and choices. Um, I don't think. Um, I don't think that we are determined by our economic circumstances. I don't think that poverty or wealth conditions our responses. Um, does have some impact? Maybe, but I think it's extremely minor. Um, I don't think that being poor turns a good person into an abuser. And I don't think giving money to somebody who's an abuser makes them less of an abuser. If anything, it probably makes them more of an abuser. Um, so I just... I. I mean, you know, I, I, I know you were answering the question, well, what do we do? Um, I don't think the answer is, is anti-poverty. Um, I, I just don't. I don't think that's even close to the answer, respectfully. Um, I'm not sure what the answer is. Um, I think it probably involves a government solution if 
parents really are abusing children, I think that is a legitimate thing for the government to step in and do something about it. Um, how it becomes known to the government is, is a difficult question. I certainly don't think that uh, warrantless random checks of people's personal homes is, is a reasonable way under the Fourth Amendment or, or just reasonable in general for the government to try and discover abuse in the home. Will it discover it? Sure, but it's also gonna violate a whole bunch of other rights too. Um, so, you know, to, I, I think that it, a government role in that is, is probably the right answer. Um, you know, as far as the schools go, I'm, I'm sort of torn. Um, on the one hand, uh, they're, in my view, clearly have, they've clearly been closed so that parents are not able to go back to work, even if they want to, and even if the governors otherwise open the, open their economies, because if the kids are home, it's really difficult for the parents to be able to go back to work. Um, so on, on, in that sense, I'm, I'm strongly in favor of the schools opening. But on the other hand, these schools are indoctrination centers. And there's a part of me that thinks it's time to cheer it on. Let's, let's, let's bring more of them home. Let's, let's do all remote learning. Let's do as much home learning as possible. Um, you know, my son, I have a son and he did, he has not done well with remote learning. I'll be quite candid about it, but, um, you know, I see some of the propaganda that he's given, um, and he's, he's good at rejecting it. And, you know, we, he and I work with things and talk about things. So he's probably less, uh, overcome with the propaganda than, than most, but he, he gets it too. You know, he'll question me with things. Um, I'm okay with him being sort of less educated because to me, more educated in today's society equates to more leftist and more poison. So I'm not so sure that having kids away from school is the worst thing ever. Uh, President Trump had floated the idea of uh, you know, some sort of a property tax credit or some other tax credit uh, because of this situation to try and encourage people to keep their kids in homeschooling or private or religious schools. Um, I, I think that's an idea that I would like to explore. Uh, but getting back to the whole child abuse thing, which is what this started with, I, I, just, I, I just couldn't disagree more that, uh, that poverty causes uh, child abuse. I just think it's, insofar as there's a correlation, it's it's well under a 0.5 correlation. It's, it's almost hmm. random, I think. Really? I'm gonna pick up on some of what you said, Ed. Um, since you touched on this doing better in remote schools and getting them out of indoctrination centers, I'll just point out one of the stories I threw in show notes today. For some reason out of Tennessee, I'm not moving there, I don't know why they keep popping up, but parents of students who attend Rutherford County schools must agree not to monitor their child's online classroom sessions. And they're doing this under the guise of student privacy, that they do not want parents seeing what goes on in class. And I'm just touching on that because I want to get back to your main right. point. As far as your main point, I'll kind of split down the middle slightly. I agree with you, Ed. I think government's role in this is government's role in everything else. Get the hell out of our way. Um, let's get back to churches. Let's get back to religious education. If you don't like it religious, call it virtuous, call it morality, call it character. Um, those weren't the biggest problems in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. And Thomas Sold and Walter Williams always point out, you didn't have the family breakdown then, and you did not have the wild people on the streets because parents would not have put up with it. Right. Some of us older folks remember the uh, ways our parents threatened us with what their parents used to do to them. Some of it involved creative uses of soap, dish rags, and possibly tree branches. But whatever the method is, when we were pushing towards morality, virtue, character, et cetera, we, we were doing much, much better. And the government has stripped religion 100% out of schools, even though America, I think, just did fine, did just fine until they did that. We took prayer out and everything else. And now we teach kids that everything is okay. So I think government's role for the most part is to get out of the way and let churches and parents inculcate their morals and their values, just like we did for the first hundred and some years of this country. So, which does agree with Jody, government's not the, not the solution, government's the problem. 
But how do you deal with the situation of abuse? Abuse is a specific example. No, I, I haven't answered what you do about the specific example, but I think with, in order to lower it tremendously, I would go back to the time or the place where we didn't have nearly as much. What and I'm trying to, right. And I believe that's for the character, virtue, religion. Um, if, if I want to abuse my child, poverty may make it worse, it may make it better, but what stops me is either character and morals or fear of punishment. Those are the only two things that stop me. And if we're not going to have morals and morals and character, then we need fear of punishment. But as we've spoken about before, we don't really do punishment in this country. So we have a revolving door. So if you wanted to outlaw child abuse, in my opinion, let's get serious about it. If you put scars or welts on a child, 20 years, hard labor, let's punish it. But we don't, we don't do either. So that's just my point. Do you think there's like a possibility of not even wanting to abuse your child? I'm just saying like if we're, if, if, if it's a matter of people want to abuse their child, how do you stop them? How about you, how about you create humans that don't want to abuse other humans? Ooh, well, you're getting into a whole... <laughs> so I'm saying that should be the goal. Like um, raising humans people, people are violent and don't want to abuse others. People abuse spouses, morality pill. children. <laughs> we're going to get to that. That's down on the list. I know. No. I'm going um, with no, but I'm just saying that's the real solution. It could be mental health issues such as depression it, and bipolar. It could be issues such as substance abuse. It's obviously um, issues maybe A lot of those come I mean, the sources for child abuse are many. What I'm saying is, if you don't have morals and character, then at least deterrence would help if there were real deterrence. Um, if somebody knew that if they did something wrong to their kid, they'd be shot on the spot, most people would restrain themselves. So that's what I'm saying in that sense. But why, why people abuse their children? Were you lucky enough to have a child who didn't sleep for weeks at a time? I had triplets. Okay. But how what's the longest you went without sleep not long <laughs> i get a night nanny so <laughs> okay so for those <laughs> lucky it. enough who have not slept for weeks why you'd want to abuse your child even the yeah. best of parents may want to it's then what stops them what stops them is love what stops them is hopefully yes. a spouse who steps in but if you don't have a spouse to yes. step in or spell you mental and health character and then bottom line is i don't really want to go to jail if i lose it because children well, can't. Or I really quiet. don't want to hurt someone if I lose it, even. I'm just. Nobody, I don't know that that many people want to lose it and hurt someone. But there are stresses in life, and when yes. us from acting out on those stresses, and I've referred many times before when I worked in a maximum security prison, and there was one guy famous because he killed four people in one week. And one time we happened, it was a strange prison. We were walking outside together from building to building, and I kind of gently asked him, like, how'd that come about? goes, well, it was a really bad week. I lost my job and then my wife left me and it was just a really oh. bad week. And I was thinking, boy, when I have a really bad week, I act out, but I don't kill four people. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where character and or deterrence has to come in. Yes. Okay, I agree. Um, I was gonna talk just a drop about the mail-in ballots issue, which is obviously a very big issue, but I know some people are finding a problem with the mail carriers union or postal service union, whatever they call themselves, endorsing Biden. And they're saying, boy, if they endorse somebody, then how do we know they're not gonna use their proclivities to you know, gunk up the election? I don't necessarily agree with that because even though I have my own stance on police force, I don't think they're endorsing Trump means they're going to beat up people wearing a Biden shirt. And Ed, that may surprise you me saying that. But I know that some people are out there saying, boy, if the Postal Service workers are so out about trying to get rid of Trump, why wouldn't they, you know, hide ballots and stuff? Anybody have any thoughts? Well, um, I've got a couple thoughts. First of all, meta meta issue i just don't believe that there should be public employee unions in the first place 100 percent agree agree yes right i mean on their own terms the uh, the purpose of a union is to protect the workers from the rapacious capitalist and any government workers are not working for capitalists they're working for the supposedly enlightened benevolent 
uh, government. Um, that said, if they're going to exist, I think they have the same right to speak and the same right to endorse that anybody else has. So um, are they going to cheat? I, I, I'm not sure whether they will or not. Um, I think that I think it's unlikely that the Postal Service itself is going to be involved in the cheating because that's that would involve such a wide conspiracy that I don't, I think it would involve too many people and it would be too easy for it to get out. Uh, I do believe mail-in vote voting is likely to, and almost certainly will lead to a, a widespread amount of cheating, but um, not from the postal service, but from uh, other participants in the voting process. I mean, I believe there'll be individual postmen who chuck ballots, but I, I don't think that's a wholesale issue. Um, Jody, any thoughts? No, I agree with what I'd said. Okay, so the, the Babylon Bee, I don't know if you saw the story. Yeah, that was great. A soon to be no longer satirical newspaper because all their satire becomes true. I've noticed put that. Out, put out the absolute preventive cure for any mess with mail-in ballots. And they said, we'll simply get Trump to order his picture on every postage stamp. <laughs> and that'll be the end of anybody wanting mail-in yes. ballots. Mm -hmm. I thought that was actually brilliant. And actually so brilliant that I have a feeling there are people who would not use the mail if his picture were on stamps. Yes, I think I'm sure of it. And you're looking at my horns. <laughs> what? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. Nah, I mean, you know, it's a funny, it's a funny story. I mean, there's so many stamps out there that they wouldn't be able to, to. Uh... No, but that's what he's saying. If they would put all the stamps with him, it would stop them. And it, again, it, it's satire and silly, but we're so crazed against Trump today. I could almost see people not using the mail. I mean, to me, if we can stand in line at Walmart, if we can stand in line at the division of motor vehicles, if we can stand in line at the grocery store, we can stand in line when we're voting. Um, this whole mail-in need for mail-in voting is, is an obvious lie and an obvious fraud to me on its face. Uh, and when I see something that's an obvious fraud, there's obviously an ulterior motive. The only alter, you know, the obvious ulterior motive is they want to be able to cheat. So, yeah, but again, and I'll just throw the M word out there again. The media is going to push the narrative because, in a fair world, I think it would be obvious that it's ridiculously easy to cheat on mail in ballots. But with the media conflating sorry, I said the media is conflating mail in and absentee, and said, well, Trump is going to do it by mail. So with the media pushing that, it makes it a little harder to win this war. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've heard that argument and Trump has made that distinction between absentee ballots and, and the mail-in ballots. And while I agree with the distinction that's being made uh, in the sense that absentee ballots require specific action by the voter requesting the ballot and signing an oath and giving a reason why they don't need, to, why, why they can't vote on election day. Um, the reality is, even absentee ballots have, have had uh, instances of fraud over the last, you know, 20 years. I mean, we lived through Al Franken stealing the, the Minnesota Senate seat from Norm Coleman uh, 14 years ago. Uh, and that was after four or five recounts where they kept finding more and more ballots until he had enough to win. Um, I think there was some stories in California last year where um, they did the same thing. They kept they kept, they had, I think there were six California uh, House races that on election night, Republicans had won. And then within about a week or two weeks later, they had found enough mail-in votes, absentee votes to switch those races to the Democrat side. So um, I am not as, uh, I'm not as big a fan of the absentee ballot as Trump has, has been uh, trumpeting, so to speak. Um, you know, to me, show up in person. It's really not that hard. I mean, it's just not that hard. And, and, and what would you do with the the very elderly who really can't? I wouldn't ban absentee voting, but I think it it should be you should need cause to do it. There should be some important cause. An elderly person who certifies that they can't that he or she can't make it to the polls. Okay. Um, Does he just make it tighter? Yeah, I mean, you know, the military obviously is, you know, if, if you're stationed in Iraq, you're not going to be able to come to your polling place wherever you live. Obviously, someone like that is going to have to do some sort of an absentee ballot. But um, 
I don't think it should be the norm. I think it should be the the big exception to the rule. So you are you saying you find it suspicious that they're not as concerned for military ballots? Take out the pronouns. Who's the they? Those who are so pro-mail-in ballots are never as concerned about military ballots. Well, the ones who are concerned are Republicans and... No, the ones concerned with letting everybody vote by mail. The ones pushing vote by mail, yeah. which is the other side of the spectrum from us, the yeah. Libs and the Dems, are also the ones who every election season are just not that concerned with military ballots getting there on time. And when they want to make sure that they're mailed out on time, et cetera, et cetera, they, they're not so keen on those. Oh, so you, they're afraid that they're the not coming their way. I'm just saying it's just the bit of the hypocrisy of this whole mail-in ballot since you brought up military. Is they're not as well, concerned for those votes. Let me just say one thing. I mean, let me just seize on one word that you said. And the, the word you used was hypocrisy. And I think that that word is, is disarming and blinding people on our side of the aisle. I don't think there's any hypocrisy from the left on this or any other issue. I think they are consistently at war with us. It's very consistent. They are willing to do whatever they have to to destroy us and to destroy our constitutional system. So I don't believe it's hypocrisy. Uh, it may seem like hypocrisy to us, but calling it hypocrisy gives them way too much credit and it disarms our side into believing that we just have a difference of opinion and we just need to persuade them better and to show them the, the error of their ways better. They know what they're doing. It's clear to me that they know what they're doing and they are trying to be in, in our face about what, we, what you're calling hypocrisy, whether it's about voting, whether it's about uh, BLM protests versus uh, protesting Cuomo or Murphy lockdown orders. Um, it's not hypocrisy. They, they know what they're doing and they are trying to be in our face about it and trying to, to demoralize us through humiliation and make us have to suffer through differential treatment and, and basically a caste system that they're trying to impose on us. And they're telling us we are the lower class, we should shut up and stay in our place. So I don't think it's hypocrisy. Um, as far Ed, as- Ed, since you're going farther than I will, I'm gonna concede the point. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, never <laughs> argue with the guy who's making your point for you. Yes, Jody. So no, I was just going to say about the mail-in, you know, standing in line, and you, you know, I, this is goes back to my original today statement of it's really not a, if we, really. You could have, you know, the elderly and the um, the otherwise at risk um, do their mail-in voting, but I don't see scientifically why, and even Fauci says, there's no reason why we can't safely go vote. There's just no reason why. So why is it this big battle to prevent that from happening? And honestly, I, I just have to say, I, my gut tells me it's because there's an agenda to win the election unfairly. Yeah, I don't, I don't think any of us disagree just, on that. It's just a, just a great way to My gut it. says that's the way it is. I live in Illinois, so it's kind of, that's how they roll here. Illinois would cheat on an election, it's hard to believe. Um, next story about going too far, also from Nashville. Nashville City Councilwoman recommends attempted murder charges for people not wearing face masks. Again, with the extreme, the extreme. again with the extreme. And I'm the Overton window. Today it's extreme and insane, Six weeks from now, you worded it slightly differently. It's not quite as insane. And a year from now, some jurisdiction can pass something so mm -hmm. mind-boggling. Yeah. Listen, you know, 10 years ago, I, the headlines I see and, and, the, and the language I see, honestly, I would have said absolutely no way. This is just, this is just people being silly. It's not silly. They do want these things to have, they, this is how these people's minds work and it is not silly and people should start paying closer attention and taking it seriously. Okay, taking, yeah. taking the warnings when the warnings are there, which we don't. Um, had a few interesting education stories. Um, New Long California requires college students to take ethnic studies courses to graduate. 
that's not indoctrination, right? Okay, again, for me, okay, that sounds really nice. Who doesn't want people to be educated on that? Who doesn't want that? Sounds really good if you just take that little talking point on the top. But then when you look a little deeper, and number one, it's going to increase the cost of that education, and then everybody's going to scream about how much more it costs. And then these kids aren't going to be better prepared for a job in the future. And quite frankly, probably this education isn't really going to be about ethnic studies. It's going to be under the guise of ethnic studies, but it's going to be some sort of liberal agenda that is going to have really nothing to do with broadening people's intellectual um, and curious minds about diversity and ethnicity. It's just mm -hmm. not. Well, I guess talking about broadening minds brings me to Iowa State, where an instructor apparently wrote in the syllabus that anti-Black Lives Matter or pro-life views are grounds for dismissal. So, so much for well, broad-minded openness. Kudos to the university for saying, yeah, that's not how we roll. And it's, I mean, kudos to them. But again, Overton window. And we all hear stories of professors punishing people for having, you know, not in line views. And we hear people being thrown out of universities for various bad um, opinions. Well, let me just say a couple things. First, uh, you know, kudos to Iowa State University for, for reprimanding the teacher, the professor. But on the other side, you know, on the flip side of the coin, I almost think it's better when that kind of blatant discrimination is open. Now, by, by having the university reprimand the professor, that professor's point of view hasn't changed one bit. And that professor is still going to flunk anyone who puts those views out there. But now it's been pushed underground. So I'm not so sure that it's a good, that it's a, I mean, I, I'd probably be outraged if the university was given that notice and didn't do anything about it. But I guess to me, the solution is to fire the teacher or to take the teacher on, put a teacher on administrative leave and get the teacher away from students. Um, as long as that teacher is still teaching students, it's, you, you still have the same problem, but it's, like I said, it's underground. And, you, you know, if I'm a student and I'm, and I put in a, a paper with a, you know, a right of center conservative viewpoint and the teacher flunks me on it, I mean, I'm sure she can come up with a million reasons why she flunked me on it. And, you know, how am I ever going to challenge it? I'd rather know in advance, this is who that teacher is. And as long if the teacher's going to be teaching, don't take her class. Um, and if Iowa State really wanted to take a principled stand, they would say, this kind of teaching is not acceptable to our school, you're fired. Mm -hmm. Or you're put on administrative leave if they have tenure and you go through the tenure, you know, I don't know how the, what the process is to strip someone of tenure. Um, but if the, if the professor is breaking the university's code of, of conduct and, and rules, then I think more than, you know, wagging your finger at the, at the professor is warranted. Um, I have a question. Yeah. Uh, what goes through a parent's mind when they send a conservative child to college? Well, as the parent of a child who's in high school right now, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about those things and I'm thinking about, you know, where my son should go to school and how I can protect him. And it's, it's a tough, it's a tough situation. I mean, there's so much propaganda going out, going on out there. And, uh, you know, I don't want to lose my son. Honestly, I mean, it's you, almost um, like- You ever watch the campus reform videos? You know, they go out on campuses and they ask these kids questions. Sure. They are devastating because the it level- It is devastating. I can't, devastating. I can't. And I love it when they give opinions saying it's Biden's and everybody jumps, oh, they're wonderful. And they say that's Trump and right. vice versa. It's but unbelievable. The ignorance and confusion, it's just, it really is unbelievable. And a conservative kid really doesn't stand much of a chance, seemingly on most campuses. I hope my kids go to Hillsdale in Michigan. Is that is that viable for you? Is it possible? Oh yes. I mean, it's cheaper than most. Really? Uh, have, yeah, I think it's. I want to say it's less than twenty five thousand dollars a year, which right now is markedly less than darn near any That's other. Not big, a lot. I was going to suggest you're short on funds, Jody. 
I can come to your house and take pictures of your kids wearing crew team shirts or soccer team shirts, and maybe we could pull that off. I thought Hillsdale would be a lot more expensive than that. That's that was the last I looked. It was actually quite reasonable compared to other universities. You know, University of Michigan, I think, I want to see it's like 48,000 like a year. Yeah. Yeah. So now, is Liberty taking a big hit because of what Mr. Falwell did in that picture? You guys follow yeah. that story? Yeah, the picture is recent. I don't think that we would know how big of a hit. I mean, he had to uh, take an indefinite leave of absence. And I'm wondering, you know, is that going to hurt them enrollment wise? I kind of hope not because, excuse me, one second. Keep going. Okay. Um, what are your choices out, out where you are, Ed, for your son for college? You know, he's going to be the one who has to make that ultimate decision. You know, we've, I've talked to him about Hillsdale. Um, there are some other right of center colleges. There are some other right of center programs that are out there. Um, you know, he's a sophomore in high school right now, so it's not clear what he wants to do. But, um, you know, we will certainly, we, we are already in a conversation about where he's going to go and how he's going to protect himself from the onslaught that awaits him. Uh, he had, you know, I had kept him in a, in a private school here in New Jersey through the eighth grade where I had personal knowledge of the person who ran the school and she was, you know, one of us and she kept most of the liberal leftist nonsense out of the curriculum and out of the school and he loved it and he loved being there and, and he thinks that's normal life. Um, I've, you know, he now, he now knows that that's not normal life. Um, he couldn't stand the local high school here in New Jersey. Um, I, as I've told you, you know, he, he's moved, he's moved out of state. Um, and, you know, we're, you know, as a family looking to relocate. Um, and, you know, he's, he's now in a, in a place where it's a little less hostile to liberty values. Um, and, and that's important to him, but, you know, he's a kid too, so he doesn't really know what he wants and what he's going to do. And so I think know, that really hard time away from his video games. What really speaks to the issue of mandating courses, because well, then you know, even if they can survive socially, once they uh, mandate a course, you're finished. Once you what? Once they mandate a course in one of those liberal subjects, then you, you can't survive on the campus at all without indoctrination. You're talking about like the ethnic studies requirement in California? I mean, it's bad enough that math classes, they teach this stuff and English classes, they teach this stuff. But maybe you can survive that. But if you have to take a course in, you know, anti-racism, racism, racistness or something, and I don't think you have a prayer. Well, let me say this. You know, I actually wanted to make a comment about that when you guys were talking about it before. You know, everybody who goes to college is almost everybody's 18 years old or older. Um, that's old enough to vote. It's old enough to be an adult when it comes to criminal law. Um, it's old enough to work. It's not quite old enough to drink, but it's old enough to be an adult. And for the government to be, the government can't create a curriculum, particularly a, a liberal arts curriculum, without making choices as to what is true and what is false, what is right and what is wrong. And If the government tries to tell me as an adult what to think, how to think, what's true, what's false, what's right, what's wrong, I'm going to resist and say that that's, that's a form of censorship. They don't have the right to tell me how to think and what to think. And I don't think that calculus changes at all in a university setting. And I don't think it changes based on the student going there voluntarily. I just think it's completely inappropriate. Uh, I, th I think it was inappropriate at, at the elementary school and the secondary school level, but it's certainly inappropriate at the uh, adult level. Uh, we don't need it. Um, and, you know, so yes, Gavin Newsom is signing that law. Um, yes, that's a bad thing. But uh, I just think the whole notion of public education at, at all levels uh, is awful. I think it's awful that children are indoctrinated. And I think it's awful that adults are indoctrinated. I know Thomas Jefferson founded the University of Virginia, and in that respect, he would probably disagree with me. And I know John Adams talked about the need for an educated population. Um, 
you know, we can do better than the founders on some res- in some respects. And I think that's one place where we need to start building higher and better than what they, than, than the great structure that they gave us. Okay, I'm gonna seize on one of your words to paraphrase. Yes. What about the argument that you are voluntarily going? What about it? So then they're not forcing the course on you. So you, you can't sue that they're coercing. But I'm not talking about them forcing. It's not that they're forcing the course on you. It's that by the very nature of having, of creating a curriculum, the government is deciding what is true and what is false. I would resist that if they did that to a newspaper, even if I have the choice whether to buy or not buy the newspaper. I don't think that they should be in that business of doing that. It's none of their business to be telling me what to think or how to think. Um, and it, that, it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about the New York Times or Pravda or the University of California, Berkeley, which is my alma mater. Um, it just, it doesn't matter to me. And whether they, whether they have an ethnic studies requirement or a, or a history requirement or any other liberal arts requirement, um, there's, no, there's no value neutral way for them to teach that. And it's not their job to be inculcating values and how to think to adults or even to children, but especially to adults. Okay, Ed, would you back up my assertion that you did not help me prepare for today's show? I will back you up no matter what you do, Steve. Okay, because you just brought me to the final story of the day and it's perfect for you because clearly your brain is not right. And this is the story from the Associate Professor of Medical Ethics, Humanities and Law in Jody's neighborhood, Western Michigan University, who wants to have a pill to make us think more morally. Now, I don't know if you guys got to read this story. Yes. This story scarred for life, having read it. So Orwellian, he goes, basically, um, we shouldn't be boosting the body's ability to fight off disease, but the brain's ability to cooperate with others. Um, Moral enhancement is the use of substances to make you more moral, and we know what moral means. So I think if I wanted to go tinfoil hat, this show would be monitored and seeing where Ed is going today, I think they would actually put a dose in his computer generated meal tonight. To yeah, sure we would all get a dose. What's that? Uh, I we would think all I'd, get a dose. I think I'd get more than a dose. I think I'd be on a cattle car going somewhere. And again, this is insanity. No, and this person- Somebody wrote it this and somebody published it. Yes, and they're taking it, they, they, they mean this. They're know, publishing this. Good, this is good stuff. This is for the better of society, Steve. This is this is to further a, a more moral society. Is to and they have it in the article. Possibly, do we put it into the water? Yeah, they so actually that say that. Gets, they did say that. And by the way, the crazy the libertarians who we haven't yet bashed today were against fluoride, and part of it was that slippery slope. But this is definitely way way down. You know, we're all old enough <laughs> to humans. Russia drugging humans to be yeah. uh, we used to not believe you could be thrown into a psych hospital for not agreeing with the government we always like that's over there and then you read an article like this and you're like how far are we well you know give it 15 10 15 years and the conversation will be like right now it's extreme to us in mm-hmm. 10 years it won't seem so extreme. Right. Now, I know, Ed, you're well-read. I think this was really close to Brave New World. Uh, yeah, it was close to Brave New World. It was, you know, the kind of dystopian thing that Ayn Rand, predict, you know, I don't know about predicted, but said, you know, would have had her rolling in her grave about it. Um, you know, if you, I, I read the article that you're, that you're referring to. I don't, maybe you want to give the exact title and, and author so the, the viewer or the listeners can find it themselves. Morality but, pills may be the United States best shot at ending the coronavirus pandemic, according to one ethicist, and the name on it is Parker Crutchfield. Okay. Right. Um, it, for, there's so much wrong. I mean, there's so much to disagree with in the article. I mean, it, if you read the article, it, it mentions, uh, you know, psychosis or psych, uh, you know, antipsychotic drugs. Right. I mean, it, it, but it's, a, it, it's effectively a psychotic drug it's, itself. And 
it's trying to induce its own form of insanity submission. in the people. It's going and, to induce submission. You know, the whole, it's so self-refuting and self-contradictory because morality by its, morality is this, is, is the science of choice. If there's no choice, it's not morality. You're not in the province of morality. And um, to, to give somebody a pill that forces them into a different choice is, is no longer, you're no longer within the realm of morality anymore. Um, and for the government to be doing that to people, and I mean, that's beyond brainwashing. That's brainwashing is, is not physical. Um, this is a physical change to your body and to your mind. Uh, it, it's so outrageous and so beyond the pale that um, I don't know where to begin other than, you know, it, it needs to be resisted. And not just resisted, but we need to be able to look at, at what, the, what the left is proposing and, and for a minute, just take it straight. These, these are people who are not mistaken. These are people that are at war with us. They do not respect our freedom. They do not respect our individuality. They do not respect our independence. And they will do whatever they have to to defeat us and destroy us. Okay, Ed, I'm going to have to look at this more positively as the cup half full. No one, right. to my knowledge, back you no matter what you do. No one, to my knowledge, has yet proposed taking rats in a cage and putting it in your face to make you more moral. <laughs> I think we need to thank God for the freedoms we still have. Okay, I back you on that. <laughs> okay, closing thoughts, Jody. Yeah, a couple. <laughs> So, well, one of the things we kind of didn't really touch on, but I just want to put it in my closing. In, in some of the articles that I've read, some of the wording is one of the things that makes me seriously concerned with how the left thinks. I have read how abortion is a basic human right and gay marriage is a basic human right. But then in a different article from liberals, uh, uh, liberal um, officials, a job is a privilege. And we already know going to church is a privilege. So these are people who believe killing a human being is a basic human right. And marriage, which is a, I'm all for gay rights, but marriage is a religious, I'm talking about the contradiction of a job is a privilege, going to church is a privilege, but you have a basic human right to kill a baby. That's one of the things I wanted to say. The other one, talking earlier, as Ed mentioned, we need an educated populace. I completely agree. Uh, but the problem is, and, and I don't have any problem with K through 12 or colleges discussing things that have to do with liberal perspectives. I have a problem with it being the only thing that they discuss and not having vibrant discussion. So for me, either you're going to talk, you're going to allow vibrant discussion with both sides. And actually, you have to have vibrant discussion with both sides or you're not educating people. You're telling them what to think, not how to think. And I think that that's extremely pervasive in our colleges. I keep talking about it because I'm extremely passionate about intellectual freedom and having a truly educated society. And we don't have a truly educated society when we have ones that believe things that, frankly, are just false. And that's where we're at. It's my closing. Ed, last word. Well, I mean, we touched on a lot of subjects today, and I think that if I'm going to have people remember one thing from this podcast, it's that you shouldn't get confused by the apparent hypocrisy of the left. It's not hypocrisy, as I said earlier. They are out to destroy us, and the hypocrisy is just us. It's us, people on our side, allowing our values to be used against us including the value, you know, including giving people the benefit of the doubt. These are people that are not mistaken. They're not uh, making some error in judgment. These are people that are committed to destroying this country, to destroying us, and to destroying every right that we all have. And insofar as they haven't taken all our rights away, for instance, as Jody was talking about the right to abortion, uh, I don't think that they are committed to any right. I think they are willing, they will eventually jettison every single right. The fact that they're willing to endorse government agents coming in and looking into our homes, as we discussed earlier, 
to see whether there's child abuse tells me they have no, they will have no problem at some point saying that they can come into our homes to look at our sex lives. I mean, they already come into our homes to look at, you know, how much water we can have in our toilet and our showers. Um, so don't be fooled by the hypocrisy or the apparent hypocrisy of the left. It's not hypocrisy. It's consistent war against us. And it's time for us to start resisting. It's time for us to fight back. And it's time for the Justice Department and the president to start treating this as a war, not as some difference of opinion that's going to be settled by an election. Okay. My final thought is I don't need any because you two covered everything fantastically today. So I thank you. Remind everybody that you can find the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes by searching out The Liberty Block. And I just want to thank Ed, thank Jody, and thank everyone for being a part of our audience. And have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Don't forget, don't forget to subscribe.